This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone, welcome along once again to another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. Of course, if familiar already, the usual concept of this podcast is that we take a look at every single match in the third tier. All 12 matches get a mention and of course we discuss the bigger issues from them and of course dissect them one by one. Also to be discussed during this podcast, it's another news concerning a managerial sacking and where the team go from there. Plus all the big other talking points in general debate, plus lots of quality goals to purr over in what is a small flavour of what occurred in England's third tier over the weekend with me, your host, Matt Oz. Of course, with these podcasts, I'm not alone in talking about League One. So with me to talk about the latest events in the league, we have two people who don't need to be introduced any more than what they already have previously. None other than Keelan Sarson and Johnny Hunt, who will be providing insight and expert opinion to the latest set of matches in the league over the weekend. Hope we are well, gentlemen. All good. good. Lovely to hear. Remember, please do give us a five-star rating on your chosen podcast platform if you like what you hear. And also a big thanks to all the listens and attention you've been giving us in a very short time. We have been going, and I certainly say that for all the sort of podcasts and general content that we provided so far as a channel. Of course, we're going to start to discuss the matches yesterday. It's a running order today, a little different, which you will pick up on during the episode, as of course there's nothing wrong with trying something new and adding a bit of variety to the pod. So it's something you should never rule out, trying something new. So we're going to try something a little bit different, as I mentioned. So we're going to get this underway with the joint biggest victory of the day. Of course, there was two 4-1 victories yesterday. One of them was Bristol Rovers 4, Wigan 1. People will probably look at me and go, oh, why are you choosing Rovers 4? You're hosting. But, of course, only right that they did get the biggest result uh, of the day. It was Rovers' first home win of the season, their first one since April. And it's the biggest win that they've had at this level since an away success at Cheltenham in October 2022. Um I had people within my family and friends who obviously went to the game. I was not there, uh, sadly, given by all accounts it was a performance that 
was hailed as one of the better ones that we've had for a very, very long time. Probably one of the best ones we've had under Joey Barton in his tenure of sort of two and a half years. Impressive performances, certainly from seeing the highlights came from the likes of Luke Thomas and Jack Hunt, of course, who's been an absolute star since he arrived on a free from Sheffield Wednesday. And probably of the sort of cluster of new signings that arrived, has probably been the most standout. You know, he's in his 30s, but he probably looks 10 years younger the way he sort of plays. He's fit, he's energetic, he gets up and down the pitch. And I think he's really upgraded us in that right-back spot. John Marquis and Aaron Collins scoring uh, the goals yesterday alongside Luke Thomas and Jack Hunt. Marquis and Collins, back-to-back games that they scored. And they're two players, you know, it feels like they're confidence players. You know, Collins has seemingly done this when he's been at Rovers. Once he seems to get one goal, he just seems to go on that upward trajectory, really then just kicks on and on and just gets better and better. So maybe now we're starting to see the real best of, of course, League One Player of the Year uh, last year. Of course, I'll give you some sort of reaction very shortly from Joey Barton and Sean Maloney on the game and their assessments of it. Um, Keelan, starting off, first of all, from the Bristol Rovers' point of view, um, is this a performance that you've seen as a surprise for Bristol Rovers, first of all? Do you maybe think that a potential force has awakened in the club? Because there was a lot of people touting them to be top half table finishers, yet to really showcase that. Now, that performance against Wigan, is that maybe raised eyebrows and got people getting their attention thinking, yeah, this side might start to click into gear, perhaps? Yeah, no, touching on your first point, I think when you looked at Bristol Rovers um, in August, they were very inconsistent and then didn't, hadn't really got going. And I think this is a big result. Obviously, they, they won away at Shrewsbury with John Marquis scoring that game and scoring this game as well. And it, it felt... At 1-1, it, it could have gone either way. But from then on, I think Bristol Rovers started to really dominate and they got a foothold in the game. And watching some of the goals, I thought the, the first strike from Luke Thomas was a was a really lovely finish to open the scoring. Charlie White scores a typical Charlie White poacher-like finish. And then from then on, it could have gone either way. But Bristol Rovers, thankfully, started to dominate for if you're a, if you're a Gas fan and... Yeah, no, Aaron Collins and John Marquis could be a deadly duo for Joey Barton's men. Yeah, just to throw a pun in there, they really were uh, cooking on gas yesterday uh, with that victory. I think kind of talking about the goals has sort of touched upon it. I mean, if you're an opposition analyst and you would have seen videos of Luke Thomas, and if you have been a watcher of League One football, Barnsley fans will attest to this, even sort of commentary fans. Um, and, you know, they would have definitely said, if he plays on the right, he's always was going to come in on his left foot. So what do Wigan do? Show him the inside. He goes on his left foot, uh, off to a flying start as they went one goal up. Then, of course, as uh, Keela uh, Mess uh, says, that uh, Charlie White scored the equaliser for Wigan. Then after that, Rovers were in really good control. Joey Barton said uh, it was a performance where we really clicked. It was the first time it really started to show that as Rovers, of course, made it back-to-back victory. Sean Maloney, quite fair in his assessment, he said it was a fair scoreline, better side one, far better mentality, and no complaints on the result. And I think one thing from the Rovers' point of view, just touched on the last point before we move on to Wigan, it was it was a Rovers team that looked like from the outset that really wanted to go for it. You know, Rovers do start games very, very slowly. And I think sometimes you see it can get a reaction out of teams for that to kind of transpire, that we kind of really see what we're about. We were in the latter stages at Shrewsbury where we, we started to show the dominance and why we won the game there. But we came out a little bit on the front foot. Don't tend to score within the first 15 minutes of games. So Luke Thomas scores within that time frame, And we got off to a, 
a very good start. But moving on to the Wigan point of view, of course, it was a young team uh, named by Sean Maloney. Uh, they only had two players older than 22 in their lineup yesterday, which was Sean Clare at 27 and Charlie White at 30. It's a very young team. So days like this, perhaps, Keelan, are going to be quite common for Wigan, aren't they? That, you know, whilst they are a young squad, they are, you know, very much the, the, the fledgings and the Maloney. Maybe a couple of these batterings is going to help them in the long term and shape them to be better footballers mentally and, and character-wise, I guess. Yeah, I think what happened was, I think, in the end, Bristol Rovers obviously showed their quality up front. But I do think, as you mentioned, Wigan got bullied by some of the more experienced Bristol Rovers players. I think, as you rightly mentioned, Jack Hunt's been a revelation since joining the gas and a really smart buy from Sheffield Wednesday. And I think, as you say, if you've got, you know, a, a team that, that lacks experience, as Wigan do, they are going to, you know, be on the receiving end of a, of a few hammerings this season. But you would imagine when you what you've seen from Sean Maloney's men so far this season, they'll be able to avoid that, that dreaded drop zone. Yeah, and it was interesting, of course, Adam Pendlebury, who's a regular contributor to the podcast, did say that Bristol Rovers sort of smashed Wigan all over the place. But it, it did kind of come across, to be fair, probably from Wigan's point of view, you maybe would have to say it was a little bit of an off day. So moving away from one four one scoreline to another one, Blackpool 4, Reading 1. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, of course, <laughs> Blackpool got their biggest win of the season. They matched the amount of goals they scored in one game than they got in the previous seven. So, of course, they'd scored four going into this one and they hit four against Reading. They were 3-0 up in 31 minutes. Uh, Jordan Rhodes got a hat-trick. Killian Kwasi uh, by from Sutton United, a player who, of course, Neil Critchley scouted and bought from a lower level. Of course, he's done that with a few players during his two stints at Blackpool, scoring one of the goals. Reading, of course, would also find the back of the net in that game. So, of course, they were pulled back immediately down to earth after that amazing 9-0 victory over Exeter, albeit in the EFL Trophy. We will touch upon Reading, of course, get Johnny's thoughts on why they are struggling away from home at the moment. Uh, but Keelan, Blackpool, um, you talked about sort of Bristol Rovers, the fact that it might be a result that gets them kick-started, maybe gets people's minds focused on them. Could you say the same for Blackpool? Because, you know, so far they've probably been the biggest disappointment for me in League One. I expected a lot more from Neil Critchley's team, but it did just look like it might have just started to really come together for them. Yeah, I think there was it was a much needed win for the Seasiders this weekend. And and unfortunately they they took out some maybe some of their anger that they hadn't scored in the previous few games on Reading. And I think when you watch it back, Jordan Rhodes was rolling back the years, you know, and it was a great a, a stat that I found. It's his first hat-trick in the AFL since 2019, which for a striker that used to score goal after goal for the likes of Huddersfield and Reading in his heyday, I thought it was quite a good a good stat. But, you know, he scores a penalty and that's probably the what you need for, for a team that maybe were firing blanks beforehand. You get a penalty early on, you score it. And then I think with the other two Jordan Rhodes finishes, it's just a clinical striker doing what he does best. But I thought one of the pick of the goals was, as you mentioned, the, the, the new Sutton boy, Kuasi, scores a very good header. Reading get a goal back and then, unfortunately, they're put out of their misery. But it could kickstart something for Blackpool because when you look at the league table at the moment, that, that win puts them four points off the playoff picture and they have a game in hand over those early occupants of the playoff spaces. So if you're a Blackpool fan, you'll hope that they're not firing blanks regularly now and, and this is a sign of things to come with, with Jordan Rhodes leading the line. 
Yeah, I think it was one of those signings, Jordan Rhodes, where he probably knew in his own mind that he's got to go and drop down the level, maybe reluctant in his own mind, but he's got a point to prove. He didn't really do that great at Huddersfield, particularly last season. Of course, they did have a lot of turmoil with, of course, Danny Schofield, Mark Fotheringham, and of course, Neil Warnock coming in. Obviously, let go to Blackpool. They took him on. And obviously, he's starting to reap the rewards. He's got a couple of goals already before hitting his hatchet yesterday. And, of course, to add sort of insult to injury, of course, the Reading goal scorer was a Blackpool player and James' husband putting in his own net. Maybe perhaps feeling a little bit sorry uh, for the Royals. Of course, Johnny, you're going to shed some light potentially on Ruben Sayers because, of course, as we've seen with Blackpool down the years, when teams from the southern part of England make the long journey uh, to Blackpool, of course, they have had sometimes... Some sort of players or coaches have had to apologise to fans. I remember Troy Deeney doing it for Birmingham when they were beaten 6-1 uh, in the 21-22 season. I remember, of course, Wigan, OK, a northern side. I think it was Max Power had to go and apologise to the supporters because of a poor performance there in the championship last year. Ruben Sayers did it. He was going to be a flack if you might not have seen it on social media. Just shed a bit of light on that. I mean, is it aimed towards him, these comments? Is it directed towards the manager, or is it more just a case of they got to vent it to someone and he's had the guts to kind of go over and, you know, try and speak to the fans? What's kind of the story behind it? Are we reading into it a little bit too much? I think it's just, it was a bad day at the office for the team. The fans, you know, it's a long trip up to Blackpool and frustrations and the way the game turned out after, you know, Tuesday's performance. It took out, I think, on the younger players and I think Sellers just came over to try and be a bit of a peacemaker. He, he apologised to the fans for the performance and said it wasn't good enough. And I think, you know, he's trying to protect the younger players that we've got at the club at the minute because, you know, that's basically our future. Um, you know, that's actually, we haven't won away from home in the league since the last game before the World Cup last year. So that shows you how bad it's been away. And yesterday, it was just, you know, we started off and, you know, Sam Hutchinson, who's one of our most experienced players, Clinton um, Mola, the left-back, lost possession. Hutchinson flew in for a, a tackle in the box that really, you know, a player of his experience shouldn't have done. Then we 1-0 down, chasing the game, and, you know, Blackpool took their chances. And, you know, that's where we are as a team. You've got Bindon and um, Abby at the back there. Maybe in hindsight, you know, you've got Harley Dean, who travelled but didn't even get in the matchday squad. We're going to need guys like him. Tom Holmes is back in the fold as well now. He played for the under-21s. Somebody like him who had a bit of a bust-up with Sellers at the start. His experience at the back will be vital. So, you know, it's, it's, what, it's what it is. It's a bad day. You move on. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about Wigan sort of having a fairly young side, obviously, in terms of some of the players in the team. And obviously, they would have learnt from this experience, no doubt, moving forward. There was a very young centre-back partnership uh, for Reading yesterday, of course, you mentioned there Tyler Binden, 18 years of age from the United States. There was Nelson Abbey. He's 20 years of age. Young players in the team include sort of uh, Ben Elliott, who, of course, was playing left midfield. There was Aziz, who, of course, is a young player as well. He's 22. You've got Kelvin Abachaman, Don Ballard up front. The experienced players, your Hutchinson, your Button, Yeardham. So, you know, it is a fairly young team. It is going to take time. But I just wanted to touch upon the away struggle, which did beat me to it in terms of the last win that they got was on the 12th of November before the World Cup break in the Championship. Since then, you haven't won in 16 away league games. Why Why are Reading struggling away from home? Because it's now, you know, you include Noel Hunt in this and obviously probably a little bit harshly, you know, Paul Lintz, Noel Hunt and Ruben Sayers at the moment can't seem to get away wins and you've lost every single away game you've been since you've come down to League One. You can't say that 
the off the field issues are affecting the players because it's working at home. You've beaten Stevenage, Cheltenham, and Bolton at home, but away from home, why is it not working? Why is it just not coming up with the answers? I think you know, last season was just a disaster for many reasons. The way you set up playing away led into it. You know, one positive this season is that we've had not so many people affected, you know, they've played the last couple of seasons, like Holmes and McIntyre haven't been starting. The young lads that come in with a fresh attitude, maybe not affected by constant defeats. But then for Sellers, the way he sets up 4-2-2, again, yesterday against Blackpool, like they have so much space and the left back and the right back are under so much pressure. Um, he's got He's got to learn to adapt his way of playing sometimes, I think. You know, he can't just keep doing the same thing because other teams work us out. At home, yes, it, it, it seems to be more successful. But mentality-wise, it's when you're on, you know, we're going to talk about Cheltenham, when <laughs> the run they're on, we're on a, a similar problem. It's just, you know, you get into that and you don't get the breaks, but you've got, to, you've got to make your own luck. And we, you know, yesterday by giving that penalty away, just set it off. Um, you know, and that is our biggest defeat of the season. Every other game we've lost by one goal, you know, in that respect. So, it's a learning curve and we have to take it as that as a team because that's where we are with players. You know, we haven't got a huge amount of experience. Those three leaders you talked about are the guys that have got to set the example and Hutch kind of let that down yesterday. But it's, it's, it's what it is. Um, it's going to be a long season and we just have to go on to the next game. We've got Burton at home next week. Again, hopefully a chance for us to, to get back on it. Yeah, and I think one thing you have to say about Redden is that it's been a team that has been nowhere near settled in any way. I think you're right up there. I think I mentioned last time we did a podcast, I think you've used one of the highest number of players already in the league and we're yeah. only, what, eight games in. So, um, obviously, there does need to be a real sort of settling period and obviously Sayers at the moment hasn't quite found that. We'll move on to uh, Cheltenham nil, Stevenage 3. It's another game where Cheltenham do not score and... We don't want to be bringing doom and gloom Cheltenham fans. We really don't. But we obviously have touched upon Stevenage quite a lot already this season. I think we have to centre this on Cheltenham, of course. As I said, I teased about a club sacking a manager, the third one in League One already. It was Cheltenham who, of course, inevitably said goodbye to Wade Elliott, which was literally the most inevitable sacking, I think, that had been brewing in the EFL uh, probably for the whole season. They, of course, have not scored in nine games, it wasn't helped by the fact Stevenage took them over yesterday and won by three goals to nil. Uh, Johnny, let's talk about it first of all. I mean, the writing had been on the wall for a long time about Wade Elliott going. I guess, in your own mind, it's not the biggest surprise at all that he has said goodbye to being the Cheltenham manager. No, yeah, you know, every game the pressure was piling on him, wasn't it? And, you know, he's... he's... He's working with what he's got there. Um, there's been a big t- you know, turnover behind the scenes in the summer with, I think, guys leaving from the recruitment, um, going to another side. And so it's been an unsettled period. The assistant manager came in and has head of recruitment, Russell um, Milton. Um, so they've had, like, like Reading, they've had a bit of a, you know, it's been a messy summer. And this is kind of where, this is the, the result of it. You know, they've got a young, you know, players up front that they've got no experience. They sold Alfie May to... Charlton um, didn't really replace him with someone, you know, as a goal scorer. So it's hard. Like, I, I think he, he was doing what he could with what he had, which, you know, he just couldn't get the breaks. Yesterday was the same kind of game. You know, they started off, didn't defend the corner well. Um, seventh minute, they scored, chased the game, hit the bar. Another another uh, poor clearance from a corner, 2-0. And, like, you know, that's when, when you're in that sort of place, 
and you're not doing well and you're you know you need luck and you know you, you go one down straight away you, you, the pressure's on you when you know you haven't got goal scorers you know and that's the problem for them it's just mountain and mountain and I think you're going to have to look at some kind of miracle worker to come in and, and take over now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, talking about who could potentially be going in, of course, they do have an interim coach in Kevin Russell. He was the assistant uh, to Wade Elliott, but couldn't turn around the fortunes in uh, his first game in interim charge. It could be the last one he has, to be fair, if they do get an appointment in before and their next game. Uh, Steve Cottrell reported he's rejected the chance to speak to the club. Of course, he's uh, a club legend there, isn't he? Had great success on his sort of start of his managerial career. Took them from non-league to the EFL, uh, led them to great success. I think he had two promotions at uh, Cheltenham, and it is a Cheltenham native as well. Names such as Graham Coglin have been linked, the Newport County manager, uh, but I think he's reportedly said no to it. It's a job where there's no real names coming out into the public eye. We, we heard with Fleetwood it was Lee Johnson and Carl Robinson that were pretty much sort of coming out and it felt maybe like Fleetwood probably got their first choice. Charlton maybe got Michael Appleton as maybe, you know, one of the top three choice of those. They tried to speak to Ferguson. Dave Challoner, of course, uh, rejected them in the end. One thing about Cheltenham, Johnny, over the last few years is they kind of had a cycle of appointing ex-managers, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Michael Duff, great success, went yeah. on to Barnsley, took them from League Two into mid-table in, in League One. Of course, was a former Cheltenham player. They previously, of course, have had uh, Steve Cottrell as well. Wade Elliott was a former uh, Cheltenham player as well. The the name linked is Martin Devaney, who, of course, I think is a former Cheltenham player himself. It does maybe feel like they're going to probably go down that road. And I mean, no disrespect to Cheltenham, but they're not the most attractive club. And they're not even more attractive, are they, when they haven't scored in nine games, a new one wanted EFL record yeah. and you know they are not just bottom but rock bottom I think a lot of people might look at that job and think this is a sinking ship that, that's not going to be salvageable what do you think that they turn to do they go for somebody who knows the club or do they just have to just hope something they pull out just works a miracle uh, I was saying that we spoke earlier that the miracle worker himself Neil Warnock you know that's something <laughs> like that that would come in he does it wherever he goes and that's what they need you know somebody that can somehow turn the club around because You've got, what, where are we now, September? Three months to the next transfer window. So whoever's come in has got that squad to work with, which isn't blessed with quality, isn't blessed with depth, experience. Um, you know, they haven't scored, like you say, that record of nine games they haven't scored don't really look like threatening much during the games. You know, and they're not taking the, the, the odd chance that they get. So it's it'll be interesting. I think, you know, whether like something like Devaney comes in because of that link, Will fans give him more time because he's been a player at the club? So they're not expecting him to go on a winning streak and you know and do whatever. But he might just be able to find some missing ingredient that Elliot wasn't able to. Or do you, you know we've talked about all the managers that go around around like Robinson in that kind of cycle of league managers that are experienced at this level? Or do you, do you pluck a rabbit from the Warnock hat? That's the question. It is going to be very interesting, of course. Stevenage yesterday, a bit of a heads up, actually. Uh, honourable mention to Elliot List. He'd only played one game last year, so probably in his own mind, he would have felt like he had, uh, of course, something to give, of course, by not really playing a big part in their promotion to League One. He scored two yesterday for Stevenage. So a really nice story for him as he missed the bulk of last season with an injury. And they continue to defy expectations, don't they, under Steve Evans, of course, as we've touched upon right the way throughout the sort of 
various podcasts that we've done, how well Stevenage are doing. They had less possession than Cheltenham. 63% of the ball did Cheltenham. Eight shots on goal, but Stevenage had 15-7 on target. So there is a lot of problems that need to be fixed at Cheltenham. And of course, the main thing, I think all the Cheltenham fans want before a win is for them to score a goal, which of course is something that I think uh, every Cheltenham fan is shouting that they try and get. We're going to move on then to another big victory. Oxford 3, Exeter nil. Back-to-back 3-0 wins for Oxford after that success against Fleetwood last weekend. Cameron Brannigan scoring twice, two penalties. And Ruben Rodriguez, his first goal since signing from Notts County. Um, One thing about Oxford, uh, Keelan, is the fact that in the summer they added a lot of attacking quality behind the strikers, obviously, Mentioned about the doubts I got with Mark Harris trying to get you 20 goals. I still stand by that. But he certainly proved in more ways than one that he's not just a goal-scoring striker, but very much a link-up sort of player. And it looked like the case when he was at Cardiff. But the players behind him have really sort of hit the ground running as well. Uh, Kyle Edwards on loan from Ipswich. Ruben Rodriguez scoring his first goal. Stanley Mills, uh, son of Danny, hitting the ground running as well, scoring at Fleetwood last weekend. So all the players that Leonard Manning has bought in have really been excellent. And, of course, he touched upon it in his post-match interview. He said, we've got so much pace in the side uh, with people to run. He was saying the threat never goes. We understand we're going to have our backs to the wall for 10 minutes in some games, but we are dangerous when we turn it over with the quality we have to go and hurt teams. And I can't really disagree with that at all. Um, the sort of result, Keelan, talking about Liam Manning, first of all, he did have the greatest of full seasons at... MK Dons last year, of course. He came in just as Russell Martin left to go to Swansea in the uh, 21-22 season. So close to promotion, only Wickham pipped them in the playoffs. Last year, he was able to rebuild the team. It didn't work, obviously, led to them going down, albeit not under his leadership, but Mark Jackson. His recruitment this year so far has been spot on. Do you think that he's building his reputation back up again, or do you think it wasn't damaged stock already? Yeah, no, I think, you know, coming into Oxford last season when he did after Carl Robinson's side had, had, sli- had slid down the table, you know, there was a, you know, he had to rebuild his reputation this season after setting the ship last campaign. He has really done that. I think when you watched his MK Don side in that season that they finished third, they were a very, very good attacking team and a team that liked playing attractive football. And it's being shown at at Oxford right now, they've scored. I mean, they've scored three goals in their last three matches. On on repeat, they beat Northampton and then they beat Fleetwood away. I think, and then they've done it again against Exeter. And I think they showed again as as well as being a very potent team. It, it, it was a hard fought win because Exeter had more possession and more shots. Obviously, Ruben Rodriguez scores early on, which was a, a really good buy from Notts County. I think a lot of Notts fans were expecting him to maybe push and get a championship move but he scores his first in Oxford Colours and then Cameron Brannigan who's who's been around the Kassam for, for many years now very reliable midfielder gets two goals from the penalty spot so it ended up being a convincing win but as much as it has been attractive football at the Kassam this season it was a mixture of some really good attacking play but also some determination to get that win against an Exeter team who you know as we, we mentioned on previous pods have been right up there and, and managed to you know, get wins by not conceding a lot of goals and they've leaked free to an Oxford team under Liam Manning that I think you could you could argue they've flown under the radar a bit near the top of the division and Liam Manning has certainly, you know, rebuilt his reputation that was slightly, you know, scarred by his experiences at Milton Keynes 
last season when they, you know, if, I mean, no, my Mark Jackson took over, they obviously got relegated, but if Manning had, had continued on at MK, I, I think they would have got relegated anyway. So yeah, I think it's a case of he's rebuilt his reputation this season with an attractive Oxford team. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of looked yesterday, of course, like to did concede two penalties, Will Ameson, uh, and luckily was the guilty party conceding both those penalties. But it just looked like Oxford was so much quicker than the, the sort of back three of Exeter. You know, it just looked like at times, especially seeing the highlights for the penalties, the way Ameson makes the foul, they just couldn't really handle that pace. And I think it's kind of alluding to what Liam Manning sort of said. I mean, Johnny, in my personal opinion, I think in terms of footballing uh, teams this season, I think Oxford have probably played the best football in League One, but yet they don't find themselves top. Um Obviously, a lot of people thought this year they would be top six because of the way they want to play under Liam Manning. You know, get the ball out from the back. They want to play. And when they go in the opposition half, go really quickly and move the ball in a very quick, frantic fashion. Do you see now Oxford as genuine contenders? Or did you see them from the very outset being right up there this season? I think now, like you're seeing, like, yes, there's a stat there that they are second in the league for goals scored and third for goals conceded. You know, yesterday I was watching the highlights there and they they were 1-0 up and the extra had a chance for the equaliser. Keith made a save and the guy cleared it off the line. As a team, they're there, you know, they fight for each other. And, uh, you know, as they've proven, that they're clinical. They they don't have the possession, but, you know, they've got the goals and and they've got, you know, three guys on uh, Brannigan... um, Thomas Harris on three, Goodrum on three. Goodrum came off the bench yesterday. So it shows you kind of what a squad they've got. And that's probably where like, I think um, Exeter struggle a bit more. They, they don't have that depth. For me, as much as it pains me as a Reading fan to say it, I think Oxford are certainly up there, you know, certainly top six this season. I think they've just got that, you know, they've started off well. And once, you know, sort of around 10 games, you're kind of getting a good idea of where teams are at in the league. And I think that they're just going to continue to, you know, obviously if they stay injury free, but they've got people to bring in like Josh Murphy, if, you know, if they're struggling or if, you know, they need to change a game and, and, you know, they rode out when Exeter had that bout of pressure, came back and, you know, then got cleaned the game three nil, you know, and that's, that's a sign of a very good side to me. Yeah. Liam Manning was full of praise for Josh Murphy after his cameo from the bench. As you mentioned, away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realefl. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. 
Right, moving on then to the other game that took place uh, in League One. We are four down. We have still got eight more to go. Uh, Charlton three, Wickham one. First win under new boss Michael Appleton. And it does feel like maybe second Dean Holden was the right decision for Charlton. Since he left the three league games, they've taken seven points from nine. Jason Pierce, of course, led them to a 2-1 against Fleetwood. They would obviously as well draw it. Stevenage scoring last minute, which isn't actually a bad result, to be fair, given how well they've started. And of course, they beat Wickham yesterday. Miles Lieburn, one of the goal scorers, as well as Slobodan Tedic uh, and Corey Blackett-Taylor, who scored the pick of the bunch, but who did score a brilliant goal. We were talking about quality goals that we're going to purr over. Freddie Potts alone from West Ham, an absolute sweet goal on the volley. Right footed beyond the uh, Charlton goalkeeper, Ashley Maynard Brewer. Johnny, obviously, Michael Appleton has taken four points in his first two games. Two tough games as well. Have you been surprised by their start? Or was it very much expected? No, I think he's taken as well. He's surprised at where they were under Holden and how, you know, now, like yesterday, you know, Wickham, Rick, were a very, I don't know, they a very inconsistent team, aren't they? You know, on the day Wickham play, you know, look good. And on the day like yesterday, Charlton just, you know, they've got a, an attack. They've got Lieburn. They've got May. They've got... Um, What's the other name? Um, Blackett Taylor. So they've got goal threat, which again in that league is huge. You know, for some of the older people like me, I remember Lieburn's dad, Cole, was a quality striker, you know, and then Potts as well. His dad was a, was a famous player for West Ham as well. So there's, a, there's some pedigree there. Um, but yeah, I think he's, I think Charlton will, will, will sneak up the table. I think they're, they're going to be a side that will grow as they get used to Appleton's way of playing because they're very organised. Um, again, you know, they had times in the game yesterday where they had to, you know, were under pressure, but he's gotten very well organized. Um, you've got Hector at the back there, who's you know, is a good leader for a side like that. Um, so yeah, like I think, I think you'll just see more to come from them. Wickham again, I, I, I don't know, they're kind of flat to deceive, isn't it? It's, it's you kind of think it's one step forward and one back with them. Um, and I, I, I don't see them. Being around the playoffs, I think they're going to be kind of a mid-table side on what I've seen so far. Yeah, of course, they were five unbeaten actually coming into this Wickham before they played Chomba. Of course, that was wiped out with the sort of performance and result chop. But Miles Lieber actually scored on his first league start for Charlton yesterday. Of course, he didn't play mainly this season under Dean Holder due to injury. But kind of touching on Wickham, I mean, they have lost three games this season all by three goals. You know, they conceded three home to Exeter three away to Lincoln, three away to Charlton. So there is that side to them, Johnny. It does feel like looking on the outside that, you know, maybe when the floodgates do open a little bit, that it can really kind of open massively and that they can't seem to shut it because there is a tendency with Wickham to show real bad, vulnerable, fragile signs of trying to defend. And I think, you know, seeing the fact that they've, they've lost all three games where they've conceded three, that might tell the story as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's the problem that they've got. That's why they won't be up there at the end of the season. You know, you, games like that where you three goals you've let in, you're kind of going, where's your leaders on the pitch? Where's the guys that are going to pull the, the players together to say, you know, we need to, to toughen up. We need to get organised. Like, But there's something not right in that kind of confidence, leadership, whatever you want to call it. They've got the players there with the experience and, you know, and a good manager. But it just something seems to be lacking. That they that's the thing that they're going to have to work on for over the next few games. Where when it yeah you know, they're not going to win every game. So when you're under pressure and you you go behind like that, who's going to stand up? 
who's going to take responsibility. And that's what they've got to leave, they've got to work out and quickly if they want to be challenging. Yeah, and I think one thing about sort of Wickham is it does feel like it's quite a younger squad than it has been over the last sort of few years, particularly Bloomfield brought a lot more younger players in, players on loan like Freddie Potts from West Ham, Keen Brecken from Manchester City. He still does have experience in there, Luke Leahy, Josh Schoen, uh, Richard Keogh, players like that. But as you mentioned, uh, maybe something isn't quite right there. Maybe the balance is slightly wrong. Moving on then to Portsmouth, top of the table, still unbeaten, 20 unbeaten now. In the league, 10 at home, nine wins, 11 draws in the 20 league matches. They've been unbeaten. Uh, yesterday, of course, Hakeem Aralakan scored for Lincoln. His first league goal in 17 months, April 2022, his last league goal for Lincoln. And, of course, then Portsmouth, for the fourth time this season, will come from behind to get a result. Of course, they've done it twice to get a draw against Bristol Rovers in Derby. Peterborough at home, sorry, Keelan, and Lincoln is when they've got victories where they've had to come from behind at Fratton Park. Uh, of course, Paddy Lane, 2-2, two and two, scored in the win against Barnes. He made it 1-1. One, one. Then uh, Regan Paul, a Lincoln City old boy scoring. It just had to be, didn't it? I don't think Lincoln fans were certainly more appreciative of Regan Paul than probably what they were uh, during the sort of, or before the game and during the warm-up. Um, before I ask you sort of a question on Portsmouth, Keenan, I watched the game yesterday and one thing about Lincoln is, of course, Tyler Walker, Ben House, both missing with injury. And I think it really showed. They didn't really have that focal point up front. Of course, Gaz Hutchinson, producer, obviously Lincoln fan, a regular contributor to the League One podcast. He said that there was two wingers up front and Hackett, of course, a former Portsmouth player and had a lacking. And it really showed. I think Rico Hackett in particular, he's, he's been a winger for his whole career. He's raw, he's pacey, he's dynamic, very quick. But you see his height, he should be more physical, but it just... He doesn't look like he wants to embrace that side of things. You know, he did well to set the chance up for Adelakan a bit. They're going to get a bit lucky with Shaughnessy sliding in and touching it off Adelakan off the underside of the bar and in. It's a freakish goal that Lincoln scored to, to go in front. But it just felt like they were really missing that Ben House or that Tyler Walker, that focal point. Because when you don't play with a recognised striker, it really sort of diminishes you massively. And I think everyone can really sort of attest to that. So that was what I noticed there. But kind of... The thing I want to ask you, Keenan, is it feels like to me Portsmouth are winning, but they're not playing particularly great. I mean, Fratton Park is the definition of a fortress. I mean, they're absolutely unbelievable there under John Massino. You know, are they lucky or is it just effective and just a good sign that they have gone behind four times this season and they've taken, you know, what we're talking, eight points from those losing positions? I mean, you know, kind of going to put this question again. Is it luck or is it just very, very good? I mean, I think you'd you'd maybe, you know, call it luck if they've come back in, in, in the odd match. But I think to still be unbeaten at this point in the season, they've drawn quite a lot of games this campaign. But I do think they have a resilience in, in that team. Obviously, John Massino likes to play, you know, attractive football and, and forward-thinking football. But at the same time, I do think they have, have a steal about them and... I think when Adelukan put them put Lincoln ahead after five minutes, I think as you said, it was a bit of a uh, a bit of a freak goal, a defensive mishap from a Portsmouth perspective, a loose pass from a from a Pompey player, and then Adelukan cans it into the net a, a bit luckily. And but I don't think there was any nerves or any potential for Portsmouth to, to fold in that match. And I mean, the great passing goal and, and Paddy Lane levels puts it in. I mean, the keeper gets a a glove to it, but it, it trickles in and. I think, I think as you touched on it, Lincoln, I think they showed the Fredbear nature of their squad at the moment. They haven't got the likes of Ben House, who is a, he's an imposing presence up top. 
you know, a striker like Tyler Walker, who is who is known to to have been clinical in the past in the third tier. And I think, you know, it showed and, and Regan Paul was very muted in his celebrations to to put Pompey two on up with a header on the on the stroke of half time. But Pompey did ride their luck slightly in the second half. I mean, mm. the Imps gave a pretty decent account of themselves. You know, they had a couple chances. I think Burroughs for, for, for Lincoln put one just narrowly wide and then and then late on there was a bit of pinball and the Lincoln defender, you know, puts it over the bar. But Portsmouth just seem to have a way at the moment of of getting those results. We've touched upon it. Fratton Park is a, a ground no no away team wants to go to at the moment because whatever seems to happen, you know, Portsmouth respond and, you know, they're top of the division now after nine matches played, zero losses to their name and they're they're just able to find results. It'll be intriguing you know, it will happen. You know, a team is very unlikely to go unbeaten for for an entire campaign, obviously. And it'll be intriguing to see what happens when they notch up their first loss, whether or not they can they can stick out. Because I think there's always question marks over the years reports of at this level. They seem to start seasons very well, and then it does seem to go slightly pear shaped. So it will be interesting. But I, I I don't think you can you can call it luck at this point. I do think it's a side. They can play attractive football, but they have that side to them where they can come back and and show a real bit of grit to get a win. So, no, it'll be intriguing to see what happens over the next few weeks at, down at Fratton Park. Yeah, it does go a long way, doesn't it? That sort of resiliency. And if you keep developing a bit over the season, you do obviously never know when you're beaten. Just the last point on Lincoln, actually. I mean, they had a front three yesterday of Teddy Bishop, Hakeem Adelakin and Rico Hackett. It just felt like they didn't really play to their strengths. You didn't really see any of them really take players on the Portsmouth defence. They didn't really test them. You know, they didn't really play to their strength. They do have a unique style of playing. And I think they almost kept playing like Ben House was still in the side or Tyler Walker was still in the side. So maybe with them both missing, I don't know how long they are out for. And if it is to be still a very different two or three that they play, they do need to maybe alter the way that they play. So you play to some players' strengths because they do have a certain way of playing, it seems, certainly in my eyes, under Mark Kennedy. We'll move on then to Northampton 1, Barnsley 2. Northampton, as we know, tough side to play against. They are a tough nut to crack as they've already proved in League One. They're certainly not going to get hammered this season more often than not. Uh, Barnsley were 2-1 victors at six fields yesterday. Of course, Northampton not associated with playing from the back. Um, and I think you could probably understand why, because yesterday Lee Burge tried it. Uh, his clearance went straight to Callum Stolson, to be fair. He's got a wonderful first-time finish, but it was a chance gifted to him more than a great finish, to be fair, as Burge just cleared it straight to him. He was under pressure, and it went straight to him. And obviously, Barnsley went in front very early on uh, in that game. And then they scored a second goal, where, again, questionable goalkeeping on a different scale this time, because... Barnsley was so fast on the break. I mean, Devante Cole wins it inside the edge of his area on his own half. He's just sprinting on and on, keeps on going. And obviously the amount of speed Barnsley attacked on him was frightening the amount of players that were up there. He could have played it. I think he had a couple of options to his left. I'm trying to replay the goal in my own mind. He went, no, I'm going to go for goal. The league's top goal scorer hits it. Goalkeeper helped on his way. And then they did go 2 nil up. And then Louis Apparade's consolation wouldn't count for anything. Barnsley, the highest goal scorers in the league. And as I sort of mentioned, emphasising the point, when they are fast on the break, my goodness me, they are fast. It was a very similar goal to a couple of they got against Port Vale, of course, in that 7-0 thumping on the opening day. Um, I think with Barnsley, we're still unsure of them. And I mean, 
even the manager, Neil Collins, the appointment, I wasn't sure what to expect from them, whether it was going to be good or whether it was going to be bad. You don't know with Barnsley what you're going to see because you've seen the the worst of them, you've seen the better of them. I mean, you know, they put in some real sort of, at times, turgid home displays against Peterborough, against Portsmouth in the first half, and then they've seemed to put on some good displays, you know, getting a win against Port Vale, as we saw, winning yesterday. And obviously, against Bristol Rose, they weren't great themselves. So, a little bit up in the air with Barnsley. You do really not know at the moment which way they are going to go. Uh, let's touch upon Carlisle versus Derby. It finished Carlisle nil, Derby 2. First meeting in four decades at Brunton Park yesterday. Two goals from James Collins. Of course, we're talking about another goal to Perro for his first goal. Oh, my goodness me, what a strike past uh, Tomas, uh, sorry, Jukul Andreasen in the Carlisle go made a, a bit of an erratic attempt to try and uh, not concede a penalty. But of course, such is the nature of Andreasen. He's always going to be sort of prone uh, to those sort of things. Uh, and there's a really nice tribute actually to Josh Vickers. We do send our commiserations from the behalf of the real EFL team. His wife uh, passed away due to a long battle with cancer on Tuesday, so he was not part of the match they scored. And a really nice touch was that they held aloft uh, Vickers 31, the goalkeeping jersey in Derby, of course, certainly paid tribute in their own mind, saying that we are all with you, Josh Vickers. So our commiserations go to Josh Vickers, his family and friends, and, of course, uh, his uh, wife's family and friends as well on the sad passing there. But on to the football side of things, Keelan. It was a big win for Derby, 2-0. Of course, they're a club always going to be under pressure, aren't they? They are a very big fish in a small pond in League One, very similar to Wednesday, Sunderland, Ipswich, when they've been down here and they've come and gone, obviously, into the championship. It feels like they can play away from home a lot better than they can at home. I mean, they've scored 10 away compared to four at home. Obviously, four of them was against sort of uh, Peterborough. Is that something to read into, the fact that, you know, away from home, it maybe just feels as though the shackles come off a little bit, perhaps? How do you, how do you read into that? Yeah, when you when you look at the, I did a little bit of um, looking into it and the, the home and away records. And if you only took their away results into it at the moment, you know they'd they'd currently be be third in the league. And if you took their home results in isolation, they'd be down in twentieth. So there's clearly something there. And I think the only win at home they've had this season was an unconvincing win against. I think it was against Fleetwood early on. It in was the Fleetwood, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's more of a, a spotlight on Derby at home expectation from the Rams, the Rams faithful, but also away teams probably go to Pride Park, you know, you know, go to Pride Park, a big stadium. You know, they'd probably go there maybe looking to to scrap to a result. And it, it, it maybe it works against Derby. And when they're playing away from home, there's a bit more freedom on the pitch for them to play how they want to. But I thought it was a, a pretty decent performance. On their travels, a tough place to go to in Carlisle, who don't score a lot of goals and don't really seem to ship that many goals either. And I mean, as we've as you've already touched upon, it's a, a wonderful finish from James Collins, first time to open open the scoring in that one. And then, yeah, it's a bit of a, a wild attempt from the Carlisle keeper, and he, he catches Collins and he dispatches for his second. But watching the highlights back before we before we press record on this pod. Carlisle did have a number of opportunities when Derby went 1-0 up to probably level. And I think the, the stand-in Derby keeper and Wildsmith, you know, he saved his team a number of times in that first 45 minutes. I think Luke Plange in the first half, obviously used to play for Derby, hits it against the post. But Derby just managed to, to hold on to that 1-0 scoreline. And then with five minutes left on the clock, the penalty comes and, and they, they pick up all three points. So they'll be very happy. And I think... 
at the moment they're very pleased with how they do away from home. It it would just be you know for Paul Warren to to maybe work out why they they don't you know get such luck at, at Pride Park currently. Yeah, Carlisle's unbeaten run ended three. Unbeaten they were, one win, two draws. They had two good draws, didn't they, against Stevenage and Lincoln. Of course, it was a game that was for Paul Simpson, one of close ties. Of course, he was a former Derby player and first team coach under Steve McLaren. Move on then to Leighton Orient, one, Shrewsbury, nil. Leighton Orient, it looks like they're really starting to kick in the gear. I really like the way that they've played over the last few games. Seven points from their last nine. Raw Satiru, bang in form, two in his last three. Shrewsbury in the first half didn't have a single shot on target. I was very disappointed by them last week in the defeat to Bristol Rovers, where they just looked like they were uninspiring, didn't really have an identity. They did put a lot more effort in terms of trying to score and correct Jets in the second half, but ultimately they would fall short. I look at them at the moment, there's no real creativity, it looks like, from their team. It was almost a dependence on Mal Benning and and, uh, Bennett on the wing, a wing back for. Uh, Shrewsbury to create chances for them. Um, let's talk about Leighton Orient, though, Keelan. Obviously, you know, you would have seen them last week. I would have took it at London Road or the Western Edge Community Stadium, whatever you want to call it, where Peterborough play these days. Drew one all. I watched the game and I thought, to be fair, they were quite good value for it. It does feel like now they've got their team shape spot on. You know, Graham Archibald is the wing back to spoke to it on a last podcast that we did about how they really impressed me. And it just feels like the team balance is more right than what it was at the start of the season. They're conceding less chances. They're better defensively. They, you know, and it's certainly reaping the rewards and the change in emphasis and formation is proven that, isn't it? Yeah, I think at the, at the start of the season, they they had a few games where it was a rude awakening to the third tier, to say the least. They shipped a lot of goals, but obviously taking, I've saw them at London Road against Posh and they, they were good value for the draw and they probably could have on the break maybe got another one and, and potentially potentially won that game. And I think they've got a good, you know, Omar Beckles is an extremely experienced defender at the level and, and, and pops up with a goal occasionally, as unfortunately he did against Posh. But moving on to the to the Shrewsbury game, I think it was a it was a close contest. And I think, you know, Shrewsbury this season, what what's you know been their undoing slightly is the fact that they're very wasteful in front of goal and I think it showed again you know watching the highlights back they've got you know a, a striker up front a New Zealand lad in Max Matter who misses a one-on-one mm-hmm. and they burn burn saves it quite comfortably but when you were watching the highlights back Shrewsbury had a number of opportunities but they're placed at the, at, you know straight at the goalkeeper you know late on the, the Shrewsbury number 33 Flanagan has a, a golden header and it's relatively comfortable for Ben. And I think, you know, the Leighton Orient goal showed Shrewsbury what a clinical attacker is. Real Satorio, you know, gets the ball down and he, he absolutely hammers it into the net and he wheels away in, in celebration. And he was, he looked a very promising player in, in what I saw in the 1-1 draw versus Posh. They've got El Mazzuni still there. And they've also got players, as you touched upon, down the wing, Theo Archibald and, and Jordan Graham. So I think, there's a lot there to be, to be pleased from from a Leighton Orient perspective. They're, they're you know up and running now, a, a hard fought win against Shrewsbury. But there's a lot of worrying signs, uh, you know, from Shrewsbury. I know we've touched upon Cheltenham being you know horrendously bad in front of goal. Shrewsbury aren't really any better. I know they've scored a few goals this season, but they've been very ineffective. And, and that's a worry if you're a Shrews fan. But from a Leighton Orient perspective, it was a a hard fought one 0 win, and you know a, a pleasing three points for Richie Wellens. Yeah, and just on sort of Shrewsbury, you talk about 
the sort of lack of goals. I mean, we obviously talk about Chapman's ones. They've only scored four. And obviously, they've scored the same amount as Fleetwood, who sit, of course, 23rd. So, a lot of work for Matt Taylor to do. And, of course, Max Matter won't be wanting to see that miss that he had yesterday because it was a golden chance that he uh, missed. Uh, moving away from that, let's move over to the Abbey Stadium. Cambridge won. Port Vale won. Port Vale getting a positive result after a surprise loss, probably in most people's eyes, to Burton on Tuesday night at Vale Park. Ben Garrity what a season he's having at the moment. Four in four in all comps he's got at the moment. Uh, of course, he scored against Northampton in League One and Burton on Tuesday and Cambridge. He also scored against Crewe in the EFL Trophy. Of course, he also scored uh, against Reading as well. Uh, it was as well Connor Ripley having to be sort of getting all the plaudits and accolades because he saved from Fajiri or Kenabiri another penalty. I mean, Connor Ripley's penalty uh, exploits have been absolutely outstanding. Johnny, um, just sort of an analysis on the game. Possession, of course, seeing on various different sides is going to be different. Around about 50-50, maybe one side did shade it on others, depending on where you looked. Cambridge, nine shots. Support Vale, seven. Both had three shots on target. Of course, looking into the stats and seeing brief highlights, it looked like a fair result, to be fair. Yeah, um, Mark Bonner came out and said the same thing. You, you, you think he would come out and be Annoyed that they didn't take, you know, didn't score the penalty in the last minute. But the way the way he kind of talks is very low key, and you know, you can see why the players play for him. He, he did this when he, they played against Reading. The substitutions he makes changes the game. You know, Port Vale started well, were one nil up. He brought on um, John Kimani, Kimani Gordon, who changed the game for them. Um, you know, lad missed the penalty. It wasn't the best penalty, but I think that's what Cambridge have got is that they've got the ability to change and bring on players that can, you know, if they need to get a goal, they've got strikers on the bench. They've got game changers, players on the bench. Um, Port Vale would be happy with the point after, you know, the end of the game. <clears throat> but but the, uh, Bonner was very honest that, you know, they, they probably did deserve a point out of the game, you know. So when he said from last season, they didn't get enough draws in games where they were losing, you know, and they, that's what something they've improved for this season. So th for that, for him, it's like he's looking at the positives of every game. And you can see that the way that he's thinking is rubbing off on the players, that they're playing together. They've got a real good squad. You know, and it's, it, I think that, you know, again, for C Cambridge for this season, what, their 10th now, that that will be somewhere I think they'll end, you know, if they can get a playoff place, that'd be a huge achievement. But I think you're looking at a side that could be easily finished in top 10. Let's move on to Bolton 1, Peterborough 1. Of course, there's only one person we can really speak to about it in uh, Keelan Sarson, of course. Both goals in the first half. Johnson, Clark, Harris bag in for Peterborough. Victor Boyejo equalised for Bolton. Gethin Jones was sent off and there was probably Peterborough fans, including Keelan, rubbing their hands thinking, well, we're going to probably not take Bolton to the cleans, but we're going to get a victory from a very tough place to go. Didn't prove like that at all. Uh, Bolton, admittedly, to Ian Everett, said that they rode their luck, and you can certainly understand that. The XG for Peterborough, 2.68, so they just threw everything at, of course, uh, Bolton. They faced Cheltenham with nine men in midweek and won 3-0. They faced Bolton with 10 men and only got a 1-1 draw. They had 17 shots. Compared to Bolton, seven fifty-nine percent of the ball. No doubt, Keelan. It's deep frustration for Posh, given that it was one of those games where you get presented the chance like that for a whole half. You play with eleven against ten, and yet they only got a point for it. This 
certainly for Bolton, will feel like a point gained, but for Posh, it'll feel like two points dropped. You know, it's a weird one because I think beforehand, if it, you know, away from the from the context of what happened, obviously going away to Bolton, you would you would have really you would have taken a point beforehand. But you know, in the context of the match, Posh just had so many opportunities in that second half. I know we talked about about the game before before we press record, but Harrison Burrows in the second half hits the post twice. And the Bolton, the Bolton keeper makes a, a load of a really decent saves. Nathan Baxter in, in the Bolton goal, but in in the first half, it, you know, it you know going into it, there was a, a slight glimmer of hope from a posh perspective because I think Bolton had quite a few few players out, and you know, posh get an opening goal. It's a you know a tried and tested formula of a Harrison Burrows cross into the box, and you know, Johnson Clark Harris heads home past the stationary Baxter because he. He wasn't going to get a hand on it. But unfortunately, a lot of times this season, Posh, are, you know, they're, they're the architects of their own downfall, you know, shoot themselves in the foot more times than not. And, you know, Adebejo for Bolton goes and, get a goal, goes and gets a goal up the other end literally moments after we, we're celebrating the opening goal. And it's, you know, there's question marks over Nicholas Bilakapic in goal from a Posh perspective. And Bolton drill, drill across into the box and, you know, he... he he gets a hand to it, but he palms it straight into Adebayo's path, who has the simplest task of just tapping the ball into the net. But regardless of Bilakapic, you know, spilling that into his path or not, the amount of shots that we had in that in that second half, the amount of XG that we had in our favour compared to the Trotters, you know, it should have been should have been a comfortable comfortable win. But you know, I think beforehand many posh fans would have taken a draw. It it feels like a kick in the teeth, a bit of a it feels like a a loss, but you know, you know, going to a place like the the tough sheets, you know, you 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 know, it's going to be a, a, a tough afternoon, and yeah, it's all about you know bouncing back. I know there's you know we've got Bristol Rovers at home next week, which isn't going to be an easy contest. Obviously, the the Johnson Clark Harris thing is going to be a real interesting one to keep an eye out for. That it's already day. stirred up as well. Believe me, it's already stirred up. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a really interesting one, and I think. If we don't get a good result against Bristol Rovers, it makes that that draw away at Bolton, you know, make, make all of those missed chances, you know, it, it it makes that result look even worse. But you know, it was a a frustrating day, and Dan Ferguson afterwards, you know, it's very unlike a Dan Ferguson posh team to not be clinical in front of goal because he's known to get his sides really really pairing in front of goal, and he was saying afterwards that you know there needs to be more more shooting practice. So it's it's an interesting one because I think. At times this season, Posh have played some really great stuff, but the goals haven't really really come from it. So you know, it was a frustrating afternoon for sure from a from a Posh perspective. And I think Ian Ever afterwards was was very happy to get a point because you know on another day Posh could have probably won about three or four one. Well, I think I've counted in the last two games you've had fifty two shots on goal, so that's enough for about five matches, let alone uh, two matches. Uh, talking about the red card, actually, Ian Ever said he thought it was a yellow card. He said he spoke to the official after the game and obviously the, he's respected the official's decision. It's not like Ian Everett to ever talk about the officials, is it, given, of course, he's got a bit of a history about that, but then which manager hasn't, to be fair, in the EFL. Was it the right decision, Keelan, in your eyes for red card? Because the way I sort of interpret it on the replay was he goes in with a lot of force. I don't think it's a malicious challenge, but I think the way he's kind of gone into Ricky J. Jones, that's probably why he's been sent off rather than actually... You know, he's gone in less force, less sort of into his man and not sort of two feet up or gone into the player. It's just the the sheer sort of ferocity he's kind of gone into 
into Ricky J. Jones. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think when, when a defender's got Ricky, Ray, Ricky J. Jones coming at them, he's a, he's a very pacey player. And I think Jones has gone in, you know, to, to, to fought his run. And I think it is, as you say, I don't think it's a malicious tackle by any means, but the force that he goes in on it, it completely takes away Jay Jones' ankles. And, you know, from a Bolton perspective, they might have been anticipating a yellow card. But I do think it's the force of the challenge. You know, Ricky J. Jones goes down. And I think the referees looked at that. And, you know, on another day, you know, it might be a bit of an exaggeration, but that's the sort of tackle where if he mistimes it, it could be a, a potential ankle breaker. And I think Ricky J. Jones is very injury prone. So I think we all had our hearts in our mouths when that challenge went in. So, you know, I think, you know, biased or not biased, I do think it was probably the right decision to, to send Jones off. Moving on to the final game from this weekend. It's another 1-1 draw. Burton won, Fleetwood won. They're on the board under Lee Johnson. His first game was nothing short of unspectacular and a bit of a disaster. They lost 3-0 at home to Oxford. Good draw game away at Burton, though, however. They got a good win in the week, didn't they, against Port Vale to get their season really uh, up and running. Not the best of debuts for Ben Hennigan. Signed this week on a free transfer. First start, he concedes a penalty, which Joe Powell for Burton would miss, but then would score on the rebound. And then, of course, we talk about stunning goals. I mean, Junior Kitirna's for Fleetwood was an absolute belter, wasn't it? Both goals in the first half. I absolutely beat the uh, Burton goalkeeper, who I think was Max Crokin. Yes, it was. All ends up and into the uh, back of the net. Uh, Burton had an XG of 1.5 compared to Fleetwood's 0.5. But there wasn't too much in terms of actually shots against the other one. Both had nine each. Fleetwood had two more on target than Burton of four to two, and they had more possession than Burton. And I think under Johnson, they will be a more possession-based side. But I think when you've got a new manager that's coming sort of fairly early, you know, they do get that period of around sort of 10 games to kind of, you know, get that right. There's so little time now. So I think he's really got to try and get that style of play sort of right. And I think, you know, whilst that's the case, I think they need to definitely get wins because they're in the position at the moment where they haven't really looked like they're going to win a game. To be honest, from what I've seen in the highlights, of course, I've not seen, you know, full Fleetwood matches this season. So obviously a lot of people can get a, a better judgment. But you kind of see on the highlights, they they look like they they don't really look like they're going to win a match. And so maybe the intent has got to change there somewhat. But no doubt a welcome point against Burton Albion as they, of course, doubled their points tally to two, meaning they are off the bottom. Well, that is it for another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. Of course, we do cover League Two as well. So, of course, if you are able to get access to that on whatever podcast platform you listen on that, then do give it a listen if you are a League Two follower. But we're all done for another episode of the League One podcast with the Real EFL. My thanks goes to Keelan Sarson and to Johnny Hunt for all their input and expert analysis on all things League One. Who knows what's going to happen in the week leading up to the next League One match day. Have a lovely week and we'll see you again very, very soon. Bye for now. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And do you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? 
at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.